It's time for ROTD Weekend. Years ago, my ex-husband and I took a barbecue class or like a series of classes with this local guy who was a championship barbecue expert. And he would kind of describe himself as like, you know, I am just, I'm just a guy who likes to do barbecue. But like every single time we were in that class, I learned so much. It was just mind blowing to be talking to somebody who knew so much and was so passionate about a topic and of course a food topic. I had all my questions and I just, I just loved how excited they got and how excited I got in return. You know what I mean, right? Well, I had that experience again very recently when I got to speak with David Garcia Aguirre, who is the master miller at Cordo Olive Oil. I don't really have very much that I want to say before I start this interview playing it for you because it was just so illuminating. I learned so much. He was so easy to understand, but excited and passionate. I now have a whole new way of thinking about olive oil, and I just want you to hear about it as soon as possible. So let's hear this conversation between me and Master Miller, David Garcia Aguirre, now. Hey, David, how's it going? I'm doing well, Christine. Thank you. I am so excited to have you on today. Now, you are an olive oil expert. Can you tell me how you became an olive oil expert? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, my title is Master Miller. What that really means is that I'm in charge of the olive oil production for uh, for Cordo. My pathway to getting to be a Master Miller was, let's just say it wasn't a straight line and it wasn't one that I was planning all my life, kind of ended up here by accident. But uh, it's, uh, you know, it's it's a great time for olive oil. Um, we're kind of in the middle of a rebirth of high quality olive oil. And um, yeah, I just I'm super excited to share that with your listeners. Yeah. Okay. So tell me about that. What does that mean? What is this new wave or new birth of olive oil that you're noticing? Sure. So let's, let's for this, for the next, for the whole conversation, let's start with this one fact, because I think it's going to frame uh, everything we talk about. So olives are a fruit and mm-hmm. like any fruit, the time you harvest that fruit is absolutely critical to how good that fruit's going to be and or the uh, the juice that comes from that fruit. So, you know, in reality, it's better to think about olive oil as a fruit juice than an edible oil, because at the end of the day, that oil is only ever going to be as good as the fruit it came from and how fresh that oil is. So does olive oil come from the fruit or does it come from the pit? I, in my head, assumed it was coming from the pit. Yeah. So olive oil, that's what makes it so special is it comes from the fruit itself. So where most refined edible oils come from the seeds or the pits, olive oil actually comes from the fruit. I had no idea. Yeah. And that's why it's so important. The fruit quality is so important. And, you know, honestly, one of the most unfortunate things about olive oil is really that it got lumped into that edible oil category. And I say that because, you know, all edible oils, except olive oil, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, go through a refining, bleaching and deodorizing process. And what that means is you're essentially left with an odorless, colorless, flavorless fat. Mm -hmm. At its best, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil is the exact opposite of that. It's loaded with flavor. It's a celebration of the fruit. It has all the natural antioxidants and nutrients that are in the fruit. So essentially, it's a juice. 
That makes so much sense to me because I know, I know, like I cook with grapeseed oil, I cook with canola, I like vegetable oils and different things and they are like so neutral flavored. And then I choose which olive oil I'm using for a given dish or a preparation based on like how much of that flavor I want, which I don't do for any other oils, right? Yeah, correct. Yeah. And, and the, and the neat thing is, you know, once and we're not ready to have this conversation yet, but once we're ready to have the conversation around varietals and terroir and all the fun things about olive oil, that's really what opens the door to like the next level, the next, you know, the next generation of cooking and of chefs and, and creativity. So when you're talking about this this new wave of olive oil, is it producers, growers who are thinking about it? I mean, you're talking about terroir. They're thinking about it the way they think about wine. Is that what's happening? Yeah. So there's always been a very small volume of really premium extra virgin olive oil. Uh, and the reason for that is, as I mentioned, olives are a fruit and the harvest window is really short. It's like 30 to 40 days. And you have to harvest in that period if you want to make ultra premium oil. And that's in the fall, October, November here for us in the Northern Hemisphere. Traditionally, the only way to harvest during that time period was to hand harvest. And oh, wow. so as you can imagine, you couldn't get that much, that, the olives were really hard to get off the tree and you just couldn't make that much premium olive oil. So the vast majority of the oil that's made um, and that's available in the United States in particular is actually of really low quality because that fruit is way beyond that window. That fruit has begun to rot and ferment. The olives are then, they use trunk shakers to shake them off of the trees because they're easy to get off at that point. And the quality of oil that comes out of that fruit is pretty poor. Now that's all changing based on a, a essentially a technological innovation in the industry where olive trees are now planted in hedgerows a lot like uh, like wine grapes are. Mm. And what it does and this is what's changing the industry is it allows the mechanization of those olives in the fall. So it's really the first time we've been able to scale high quality olive oil production. And that means that it's becoming more, not just more affordable, but more accessible. And the uh, overall, you know, with time, the quality should start coming up. And so sh should we be noticing this already? Like, are there already different brands and varieties of olive oil in the United States that we can get our hands on? So there are definitely producers that are adopting this new model. Um, what is becoming abundantly clear is that is only half of the equation to getting fresh oil to customers. Oh. The hardest part, honestly, is not the making of the olive oil. Once you have the right method and we have high quality fruit, we can make high quality oil. The hardest part of getting oil, high quality oil to customers is what happens after that. It's the storage, the distribution, the packaging choices, the uh, where it sits on supermarket shelves, how quickly the oil turns over. And the reason for that is super simple. The moment the oil comes out of the olives, it's at its best. All of your energy after that has to go into protecting it from light, heat, and air. Mm -hmm. And so it's degrading. What? So once it's bottled, if it's put into some kind of, you know, not clear container and it, it's sealed, does that stop it from aging in a bad way? Or are you still counting minutes after that point? You're always counting. We haven't figured out how to stop oxidation. If we had, we'd all live forever. But uh, <laughs> you can put your energy into slowing it down, right? And that, And you're absolutely right. Those are, you know, like the moment our oil comes out of the olives, it goes in to stainless steel casks in a climate controlled cellar and it's kept under nitrogen. 
right? So we're protecting from light, heat, and air. The other, you know, critical part is distribution. So we package just in time so that we're able to shorten the amount of time that the oil is out in the real world, because once it's in the real world, we can't control it as well anymore. Mm -hmm. And then finally, and this is a, this is probably the biggest improvement that we've discovered for olive oil is the packaging itself. So we, you know, we package in what we call a flavor lock box. And it's essentially like the bag and boxes you've seen for wine, except it's made for olive oil. Oh. And the beauty of that is the cardboard's a great insulator, right? So it keeps the, the heat away. It blocks all of the light. But the real beauty is that the bag itself, which has an oxygen barrier, as you use the product, it collapses on itself. So oxygen never touches the product. Oh, so like a spout, like you're talking about exactly. the, the what about bladder kind of thing that the is inside the box of wine and has a spout on it. The olive oil is in there. I have not seen that. Yeah. So that we have found through extensive shelf life testing that it by far, and we're talking like multiples of 10, preserves the freshness of the oil the best. Okay. So like future, like the Jetsons version of us, like fast forward a few years, are we going to be literally holding our measuring spoons under a like wine dispenser to get our olive oil to cook with? I hope so. I mean, if we, if we can commit to that, then I, then I'll know that, you know, as long as the oil was good when it was made and packaged, then the oil has the, the highest chance of being fresh on the shelf as well. That's super exciting. I, you know, looking like thinking about different packaging and the implications that it has and then how it can change how we even cook, like where, where I would keep my olive oil in my kitchen or like all of that would shift slightly, right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. And, and you know, the tough thing is most Americans have never had fresh oil before. Mm. Right. So the, I, 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 you know, it's hard to say an exact number now, but if you go back a decade, up to about 70% of the oil labeled as extra virgin mm. uh, didn't meet extra virgin standards while it was on the shelf. And there are a bunch of reasons for that. We talked about, you know, the oxidation that happens. All of the testing is done at the time of production. It's not done on the shelf. So the big loser, unfortunately, has always been the consumer. And what our mission at Cordo is really to get fresh oil into consumers' hands so they can start developing a palate for it. And it's not, it's not like, it's not like wine where it's super nuanced. Like once you taste a fresh oil, it's like, oh my gosh, okay, this is different. I get it now. <laughs> and so, you know, once we can have that aha moment, then I think we can start really changing the way that we use olive oil and purchase olive oil. That's really exciting. I want to hear more about the flavor, but I want to back up because I don't think, I, I think I used to know, but I don't think I know anymore. What does extra virgin mean in terms of olive oil? So, you know, extra virgin is supposed to be the top grade of olive oil. I liken extra virgin to getting a D in school. It basically, by definition, means that there is nothing wrong with the oil. It basically means it's not quite <laughs> rancid yet. Oh, wow. Right. So that that's why I say it's like a D in school. So, yeah, you passed, but you didn't do anything right. You know what makes olive oil so special and the reason that consumers are willing to pay a little more for high quality olive oil and the reason it's so famous and has such a storied history is because of, of the beauty and the flavors and and the impact that it has on food. Right. Mm -hmm. And the that is the A and the B level of olive oil. That is not the D level of olive oil. 
So, you know, our mission is really to democratize A and B level olive oil, right? Because I think, you know, what excites me the most, and and we sell almost exclusively to chefs, even though we have a pretty good home cook network, but, you know, chefs are our bread and butter or our olive oil, as it were. <laughs> um, you know, my, my favorite thing and the thing that excites me the most is seeing what chefs do when they get fresh olive oil. When they have that aha moment, it just opens a whole new world of combinations and food possibilities. I, I know exactly what you mean, but I didn't realize that that was the inspiration. I've had olive oil ice cream before and it was like a mind blowing thing, like just like so, so unexpected. I was like, oh, I guess I'll have that. I don't know. So good. Yeah, that's exactly right. And in, whether it's in cocktails or brownies or ice cream <laughs> or just traditional foods, if you want a simple trick to make all of your food better, buy better olive oil, buy fresh olive oil. The difference is dramatic. I have another question about just terminology that I've heard before that I want to make sure I've cleared up. What is a cold pressed or first cold pressed? Is that something we should look for? So the challenge in olive oil is there's there's a lot of really bad information. It, you know, we like to say it's the ingredient that farm to table forgot, right? Oh. Farm to table, close the door on all the other ingredients. So you know who's making it. You know what they're all about. You know how it's made. No one knows anything about olive oil. Not even us in industry. A lot of times we get, there's so, I mean, we're fighting, trying to get clarity around terms and standards because it's all over the place. Hmm. So a term like first cold pressed is a perfect example. So olives haven't been pressed in 30 to 40 years. We use centrifuges now because we can make better quality olive oil than we could with, with presses back in the day. So that term comes from an age of marketing, like from the eighties, and it's just a holdout. So people keep it on their bottles because people still look for it but it really has very little meaning anymore. Okay, so it doesn't have to say that, and it doesn't have to say extra virgin either, right? Well, it, <laughs> technically it does because, okay. so I'll, we'll talk about California for a second. So California has a, the strictest legal standard in the world. So any olive oil produced in California um, must adhere to this standard. There's a size limit. It's anything, any producer over 5,000 gallons must adhere to this. Um, and that mandates that we put the term extra virgin on the label if it is in fact extra virgin. Now, all of that said, the best way to know if an olive oil is fresh is to taste fresh olive oil and to memorize it. And the, the way I describe that is, you know, at the olive oil is essentially the juice of the olive. And as you'd imagine, just like the juice of an orange tastes like the oranges it came from, olive oil should smell like the olives themselves. Like you just chopped up and, and cut those olives and, and this beautiful green, bright green aroma comes out. I like to say that it should take you back to the garden, right? It should smell like herbs and mm. fresh cut grasses and fruits and things that remind you of fresh, natural things. If it smells like Play-Doh or cardboard or nail polish or something like that, there's something probably wrong with it. So not when you say it should taste like olives the way that oranges, orange juice tastes like oranges, you don't mean the olives in the briny garlic, whatever. You don't mean that. You mean the olive before it was treated, which most of us have not had before. Right. Great point. So definitely not the briny table <laughs> olives. In fact, it's funny story. If you watch a lot of cooking shows from, you know, the 80s and 90s, a lot of times they'll try an olive oil and be like, oh, it tastes like like table olives or like the brine of olives. That is such a defect in the world of olive oil. <laughs> it basically means that the olives were fer so fermented prior to making the olive oil. They're essentially rotten, right? Oh, no. That the that oil picks up all of those flavors. And yeah. that used to be that what we 
thought was, you know, back in the day, that's what we had. So that's what was high quality. But yeah, so really just, it should take you back to your garden. It should smell like fresh things. I want to ask this question because I, I know it must not be, but like when I'm ordering a martini extra dirty and I want olive juice in it, that's the brine from the jar, which is not anything to do with olive oil or the juice of the olives that you're talking about, right? Not, nothing whatsoever. But okay. that's a great example. So would you say that that smell reminds you of your garden? No, 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 no. It's, it's exactly like pickles. Right. So exactly. <laughs> so if you smell it and it smells like tomato leaves or mm. uh, fresh cut grass or, um, you know, some herbs, right? Mm-hmm. If you have those associations instantly, it's probably a, a fresh, high quality oil. Okay. And now I want to know if people want to try and taste some of this, because it sounds like you're saying we need to try it, we need to memorize it, and then we'll know if we get it. I am guessing, and not to, I don't want to say anything bad about any businesses out there, but from what you've been saying, we're probably not going to those olive oil tasting stores that have all those metal bins. Or or is that a place to go? Like, where, where would you go if you want to try this? So I'd say it depends. Um, I have had great, wonderful oils at those places. I've also had oils that were probably great and wonderful at one point that were rancid by the time I got it. Mm-hmm. Because those stainless steel, we call them foosties, right? They let mm-hmm. air in. Mm. So over time, that oil oxidizes. It's hard. Um, you know, one thing you can do is, um, you know, here in California, there's an organization called the California Olive Oil Council that has a seal that they put on on uh, producers' bottles that pass their certifications. But again, even those, same thing, right? I've had bottles with the seal on them that maybe sat on a supermarket shelf too long that were no longer as fresh as they were when the when the oil was certified. But I think at the end of the day, the easiest way is find a, find a producer you trust, right? Order a bottle of oil that you know is going to be fresh. If you're looking at the bottle and it's coming from six countries and there's no, you have no idea who made it or what the story is back to the farm to table thing, it's probably not going to be a high quality olive oil. That makes so much sense. Now, I'm betting that you would recommend that we try the Cordo olive oil. Can you maybe let people know how they can find that? How they, I know you said it goes mostly to chefs. Is there a way that we as like regular consumers can get our hands on it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on, on our website, it's probably the best place. And there's a bunch of, of really good information there as well. A lot of what we do is is educate. I mean, that's one of my biggest jobs is education, not sales, but education. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll do a lot of, you know, uh, different presentations with different chef groups or uh, in industry or even sometimes at universities talking about olive oil. There's a lot of really good info on the website. You can even request a virtual tasting, um, which is a kit that we developed uh, when and when COVID happened, when we couldn't go to restaurants anymore and we needed a way to talk to people, we basically had to take our whole story and condense it down to a little tiny box that we could have a virtual tasting with. And, it, and it's I have found it to be a really effective tool for really getting the message across about what fresh olive oil is. Is that something that we could do like a little house party or something? Like you could order a few Absolutely. of those and then, oh, that sounds super fun. So that is on the Cordo website? Yep, that's it's on the Corda website. It's available to everyone. You know, chefs often use it for their kitchen staff to train their kitchen staff. And then, like you you mentioned, I mean, parties or even just you know having a education with your family. It's just uh, it's just a really fun you know educational tool that really will open your eyes. I think. Oh, that's so exciting! Well, thank you so much, David. This has been amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been great.
Wasn't that great? Debbie just knows so much about olive oil and there's so much more to know than I realized. And I cannot wait to try this really fresh olive oil that he's talking about. Now, I've just headed over to the Corto website, which I will, of course, link to in the show notes. And I'm looking at the virtual tasting experience. It actually is this box of like a flight of little tastings and you get a one hour group tasting event online. They have them bi-monthly, but the next ones I am not available for. I am out of town. There was one yesterday on May 12th and there's one on July 12th. I'm out of town, but I'm going to keep my eye on this. So you should go check it out if you're free July 12th and see about doing this virtual tasting and you can tell me about it. And then I'm going to circle back with you and let you know if I am free to do it for, I guess, the September one, because I really, really, really want to try this. We could like even try to have a bunch of us on the same Zoom call doing this or something along those lines. I think it'd be really, really fun. Okay, go check out their website, check out that virtual tasting, get some olive oil, all very, very exciting. And now I'm going to talk about what is going on in my food world this coming week, the test kitchens, the website, and the podcast. So as far as the test kitchen goes, I don't know if you have noticed, but I have been upping my game on Instagram and on TikTok lately, getting really excited about creating and editing videos and sharing some great tips. And so I'm trying to work those video creating events into the test kitchen lineup a little bit. So we're doing a little bit fewer recipes in the weeks ahead and some more videos. So we've got this week, we are working on a ground turkey pasta dish. That is for the series on ground turkey that we're working on for the cookful. So that is going to be a new recipe. Also a new recipe is a one skillet dinner involving ground beef and potato, kind of like our one skillet ground beef and rice dinner that I go to like every second week for my kids. Marty loves it. I love it. They love it. So it's just one of those winners. And I thought it'd be really fun to change it up with potato instead of rice. But the thing here is what I'm trying to figure out is how to get the ground beef nice and brown and the potatoes maybe browned or in some way delicious without having to like move things in and out of the skillet. I want it to be in one skillet and I don't want to have to cook something and take it out and then put something else in. I feel like as soon as a recipe has me doing that, I just want to pull out two skillets. So the point of it being a one skillet dinner is lost if I'm like putting things in and out of the skillet. I could pull out two skillets and have it done more quickly if that is the case. So I'm really trying to make this like that ground beef and rice skillet that is on Cook the Story that I love where everything is just done in one pan. Super easy to cook, super easy to monitor, and the cleanup is so great. I want the same thing for this ground beef and potato skillet. So we're working on that. And then we're also doing a couple of videos. Like I said, we're doing the chicken wings from Frozen. This is how do you cook chicken wings straight from Frozen from the freezer. That is a video that I think could do really well on TikTok, don't you think? And then we're also doing a video for chicken thighs in the Instant Pot. And what I love about this, if you haven't been to it before, the chicken thighs in the Instant Pot Pot recipe on the cookful has chicken thighs in all the different varieties that they can come. So fresh, boneless, skinless chicken thighs, bone-in, skin-on chicken thighs, frozen chicken thighs that are frozen together in a clump, like you brought them home from the meat department and you just like throw them in the freezer. Can you put those in the Instant Pot? Yes, and we have the technique for that. And then also like chicken thighs that you've individually frozen yourself. And also that big bag of like chicken thighs that are done in like a solution and frozen, flash frozen individually 
individually, that as well. So that is all in that blog post. And I want to do that all in one video showing you all the different ways that chicken thighs can come and that you can cook them all in one video. So that is quite the monumental task, but I am ready for it. I guess I should say those videos will be going up on Instagram Reels and TikTok. I am at Cook the Story on both places. If you check those out, you'll see we've been doing a whole lot of stuff on there. That blender hack that I posted is great. The egg peeling hack. There's a really good potato and onion recipe. So all of that has been going up on our social media. Check it out there. As to what is going up on the sites this week, it is a little bit less because we're creating fewer recipes. So we have time to do the videos. So then less actually goes up onto the site. But it's also a busy time of year. Lots of us are taking vacations and end of school stuff. My kids have exams. So we just kind of lessened the publication schedule down a little bit. But don't worry, we still have great stuff for you. We have a corn pudding recipe that actually uses fresh corn on the cob. It is so good. Or you can use frozen corn. It's just a really, really lovely, luscious kind of summer festival of corn flavor. And then we also have a grilled beef ribs recipe. I love beef ribs and people don't have them as much. And I'm not talking about short ribs. I'm talking about the beef back ribs. People don't have those as much as the pork ribs. So I always think that it's like a really special treat when I put those on the grill for somebody and they're all those big meaty chunks of good meat. I love that. So that is going up this week as well. And that uses my usual slow cook first, high heat after method, but all done on the grill. So that's really great. And then we've also done a full retesting of the grilled chicken thighs on Cook the Story. We do that quite often. We're retesting recipes, making sure that they're perfect. We did some new pictures for that one too. I cannot wait for you to see that. That is what is going up on Cook the Story this week. As to the recipe of the day podcast, what do I have in store for you? Well, tomorrow is Mother's Day. And so there's a really wonderful brunch recipe that's great for a crowd or for just that one special person. That is tomorrow. Then for your own recovery, if you are a mom or you just have a busy day tomorrow visiting all the wonderful women in your life, Monday is a really easy, fun, delicious soup. And then, you know what? I really have a lot of lemony flavors going on this week. And that happened because, well, Tufayan Bakeries is sponsoring a whole bunch of episodes coming up again. You'll remember them. They were a sponsor before. They make all those wonderful pita breads and flatbreads, bagels, oh, the smart pockets, all that great stuff. So they are sponsoring a bunch of episodes. And I was looking for things that like would make sense to have with some of their wonderful baked goods. And I came across some of the lemon posts from a series on lemon side dishes that we did on The Cookful and realized that I've never talked about them on this show before. I don't know how that happened. So I went down this whole lemon rabbit hole and we have some really delicious lemony recipes to have with those two fine baked goods. There's a beet salad with lemon vinaigrette. There's some Greek lemon potatoes with like tzatziki. I cannot wait for you to hear about these recipes. They are so good. Oh, and I can't wait for you to try them. Oh, they are delicious, lemony, lots of zest and juice going on. Amazing stuff. Okay, I will put all the links to all the things that I've talked about today in the show notes for this podcast episode, or you can head to cookthestory.com slash R-O-T-D and get it there. I want to say a big thank you to David and Cordo for being such amazing guests. So much wonderful information. I'm really inspired to check out these new types of olive oil. It's really exciting when something you use all the time undergoes this kind of revolution. You know what I mean? So definitely super grateful that you were on today, David. And thank you for listening. I love that you're out there. Check out what we have going on on Instagram and TikTok. It's been really, really fun. I'm loving it. And I think you're going to love it too. I'm Christine Pittman from cookthestory.com, thecookful.com, the all new chicken cookbook, and from this podcast recipe of the day. Let's get cooking.